Hello and welcome to the Conscious Thinking Podcast from the Conscious Advertising Network. This is next in the series of thought-provoking sessions around the question of what is conscious advertising, where we are talking inadvertent funding. I'm your host, Sunu Singh, founder of Creative Salon. And with me, I have Jerry Dakin, EMEA Media Director at GlaxoSmithKline. Hello, Jake Dubbins, co-founder, Conscious Advertising Network, and Claire Atkin, all the way from Vancouver, Canada, co-founder. Check my ads. Thank you guys. Thank you for being here. Now, what we're discussing really is a big topic ethical ad spend. So, I do want to know what exactly is that, first of all. But let's remind ourselves of the advertiser revolt that happened not that long ago this summer over Facebook's policies over hate speech. Now, Jerry, can I start with you, first of all, because you have talked about ethical exclusion list as being the key consideration for brands in the past. So what do you mean by that? Yeah, and I, I brought it up alongside the, the Facebook issue because it was, it was encouraging to see brands taking uh, decisions about their media based on some sort of bigger ethical conditions. But my, my point was that it certainly doesn't end with one platform. And a lot of advertising these days is, is brought through, you know, programmatic media, which, um, you know, in simplest terms, is, is computers making the decisions for where that advertising appears. And obviously computers make those decisions millions of times a second to try and work out where those ads are and they're not always in great places so exclusion lists which you know have been called white lists in the past but i think it's good to move away from that language are just lists that really specifically say where you where you won't appear um you know, they're largely lists of keywords you know <laughs> obvious ones like terrorism and uh, and, and hate speech related words uh, and the, the magic technology systems know that your advert should never appear alongside them, uh, which is a great step and a really important step. That we always caution advertisers that sometimes they end up with ridiculously long keywords lists that include a whole bunch of things that are much more general than you'd, you'd imagine. Like we've seen Muslim, lesbian, really all-encompassing lists. But overall, it's it's great to see advertisers paying attention to where their money is going. Claire, can I bring you in here now? Because when we talk about Ethics. I mean, so it's, it's, it's a big word in itself, but ethical behavior uh, in relation to brands. Now, that is quite relative and some of the imposing standards could be quite complex. How or where do you think we, sh- we need to begin to counter such big challenges? In the last 10 years of digital marketing, we have lost touch with what marketing is supposed to do even in the first place. So, As marketers, our job is to, of course, raise awareness. It is, of course, to educate about our products. But digital marketing has forgotten that there is a third thing that we want to do as marketers, and that is to engender trust. We are here at an ethics conversation, not because we love to speak about philosophy, but because the ad tech world has not been designed by marketers. It has been designed by people who are optimizing for KPIs and reach instead of for trust. And we have forgotten that third piece. So as marketers, this is not so much about how it feels to be marketers. This is about the fact that as a business, we are not doing a a whole job. We are not doing the complete job that is required of us. Jake, Conscious Advertising Network was almost born out of this need, as in that, you know, that job hasn't been done. And indeed, the job for Conscious Advertising Network would be done when, you know, something like this organization actually doesn't really need to exist in a way. I mean, do you agree with with, with what both Jerry and, and Claire have said when it comes to ethical spending? 
Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> yeah, Claire, Claire, Claire made the point of, of that sort of we've we've forgotten what it what it means to be marketers. I, I also think that because we haven't designed the systems that serve the ads in a way that 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 is sort of human first, society first, we've kind of raced to ever more efficient advertising, raced to race to the bottom uh, without taking due care and paying attention to the uh, unintended consequences of that race to the bottom and what that therefore means in practice and what we talk about in terms of inadvertent funding is that we are now funding everything from you know we talked about hate speech but islamophobia you know misinformation uh, against you know um you know the uh, against uh, the black lives matter movement for example misinformation about covid 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 denial climate science denial you know all of these things is trying to put pandora's box back in together as opposed to starting with people and society first and then broadening that out. And I don't think any marketer wait, you know, gets into the industry to go, right, now I've got to be the arbiter of, you know, what what content I should be funding on, on, online. But here we are. That is that now a statement of fact. The investments that we make in media are directly funding harmful narratives, you know, the content that we've just discussed and the organizations behind that content. So, and we need to, we need to take responsibility for that. Well, what we're largely saying is Jerry, it's all your fault <laughs> uh, really. So it's, it's, it's the brands not doing the job, but, but, you know, obviously being, being slightly facetious here, but, but with, I don't need to spell out all the challenges that are at the doorstep of the brands and especially marketeers and trying to justify not just being the marketer, but, but the spenders as, as well and what they're spending on. Do you think all of this has compounded and probably set back that move for ethical ad spend? And I'm not just talking about you or, or GlaxoSmithKline, but but looking at the industry. Yeah, I, I, in some ways, I don't disagree with the challenge that this is all marketers' fault because at the end of the day, it's it's our money. We sit at the top of the tree, and, and we should have more responsibility. I think it is a remarkably complicated ecosystem we we live in these days. You know, however much you try and simplify it down, you still end up with with graphs of DSPs, SSPs, all sorts of stuff. And then if you see one of those crazy lunascapes of everyone involved in it, it's like, oh my gosh, how could a marketer understand? And, and I guess one of the messages that we have in, in CAN is that you don't need to understand all of that. You just need to start understanding some of the right questions to be asking. Um, you know, most, you know, many, most big advertisers have an agency and in that agency, there are experts in this stuff. But those experts will only start working on your account. Those settings will only get put in place if you start asking the right questions. So, um, you know, arranging a meeting with your agency and saying, look, you know, in my, in my briefs, I want to be really clear. You know, this, this matters to me. I don't want to appear on hundreds of thousands of websites. I want to appear on quality websites. I want you to make sure I'm not appearing on the bad stuff. I, make, I want you to make sure I am funding really good stuff. Uh, and, you know, all of that is something that any marketer can say. You may not technically understand how the system does it, um, but probably people in your team, your agency team around you will do. And so, yeah, I think the complexity of it does make it harder for marketers to get their head around it. And as Jake was hinting at, not many marketers took the job thinking they were going to have to be the arbiter of ethics in the first place. Um, and, and the good news is that, you know, there are frameworks like the CAN framework, the agencies and experts out there who can help you. But it, it does start by asking the right questions. If you don't ask those questions, no one in your supply chain is going to start solving it for you. 
Yeah, and asking the question, obviously, that's the, that's the starting point. You know, with your check my ads hat on, Claire, there are always new bad actors emerging at every single point. And obviously, you know, and considerations that the, the industry was probably not aware of, say, you know, just yesterday. I mean, what does that mean for your role then? And how do you sort of, how, how what are the considerations that you make? How do you even start educating uh, the industry? You know, when people come to us, they are usually on marketing teams or comms teams. Usually they have really big budgets, you know, hundreds of millions uh, per year, maybe sometimes as low as, you know, 50 million. But these are people who have put an incredible investment into the open web, into programmatic advertising. And they say, hi, check my ads. We've checked our ads. We've taken a look and we just need a universal block list. So could you give us a list of bad sites? And we say, that's impossible, because as you say, it is changing every day. And so what instead we do is we run workshops and we help build what Jerry called a spec sheet so that you can give that to agency. And we build the brand policy guidelines for brands to say, this is what is and is not appropriate. And these are the tools that we expect you to use. So what are those tools? Because everything is changing every day and marketers are not by default professionals who understand how adversarial narratives, conspiracy theories, and disinformation campaigns travel through the open web, we have to rely on other experts, nonprofits, research organizations, think tanks, and we have an incredible toolbox to our disposal that we end up bringing in and pulling into these advertising boardrooms. I, I'd, just, I'd just like to add to that, if that's okay, because I, I think I think Claire makes a, a really good point in so far that, you know, the industry needs to look outside the industry. You know, a lot of the work that we do at CAN is working with civil society groups and nonprofits and, you know, government or international government agencies like the UN to define what the bad stuff is. You know, we, we don't necessarily know what the next QAnon is going to be. We don't know what the next conspiracy theory is going to be. You know, again, you know, marketers didn't get into this to future gaze and go, well, it, what's going to be next? Zedanon telling people that, you know, you know, Hollywood celebrities are going to eat old people or something. You know, nobody knows what the next conspiracy theory <laughs> is. heard it here first. If, it, if that becomes weird. Yeah, watch out. That's, that's <laughs> <spread>. <laughs> but, but I think that that partnership with civil society, that partnership with activist groups, um, that partnership with, you know, uh, as I said, the, uh, human rights experts, human rights lawyers, and, and understanding that is, is vital for the, for the health of, of, of the industry that in turn funds the internet that, 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 that is the narrative of our society and us, us as human beings. Can I bring in Jerry to this one? Because what I'm curious about is what are the incentives that is in there for marketeers, therefore? Uh, in, not, I'm not saying that all marketers are obviously bad actors uh, in, in this whole conversation. However, you know, marketers do do that path of least resistance. And when you're talking about something like block lists, you know, it, it comes from a, a place of biases in the first instance. I mean, what is it that motivates you as a marketer to make sure that you carry on those conversations, you continue to 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 investigate those block lists? Yeah, with, with topics like this and, and, you know, broad around like diversity and inclusion and other things, there's always two sides to it, isn't there? There's one like do the right thing for society and make the world a better place. And hopefully that's a big motivator for a lot of people. But 
maybe not all of them. But it's always there is always an argument about um, doing the right thing for your brand, growing your business as well. And I, I think it you know it squarely comes through in here. Nearly all the steps you can take to improve your supply chain not only stop you funding bad stuff, but they actually make your advertising work more effectively. I think a lot of the places your ads could be showing up that are that are quite bad are just places you wouldn't want to be. And I mean, I can talk to, to real experience. I used to work at Diageo, you know, big global alcohol company. They introduced something called the Trusted Marketplace, which was quite an aggressive approach at saying we will only advertise on platforms that we can validate and confirm and and and, and say meet some standards. Um, and you know, media plans started coming in where the costs were going dramatically up you know because we weren't buying that really long tail of super cheap and seemingly wonderful and magical inventory but pretty soon afterwards they also found that their effectiveness was going up that it was delivering more that actually you know paying that premium to a to appear on more premium sites which i think at markers we sometimes lose sight of the fact that not every impression is equal there are there are impressions you should pay more for and frankly we're also just cutting off a lot of long tail which probably had fraud probably wasn't you know wasn't quality even even if it claims to be viewable so i i think you'll find marketers as you as you go on this journey even if you, even if you don't think that you know stopping hate speech and, and queuing on is part of your job making your media spend work harder and actually reach consumers in, in better places absolutely is but also you know continuing this 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 theme of actually what the motivation are there for for the marketers Claire, can i ask you how many times and we hear these stories again and again how many times do you hear the statement we were not aware of this placement and uh, you know what what do you even do about that i mean that's such a lazy thing to begin with is it lazy are you counting <laughs> is it lazy so, so the answer is thousands i mean so my co-partner nandini has actually worked with uh, Sleeping Giants and about 400,000 people to help bring awareness to the problem of funding disinformation. And she and her co-founder actually worked with over 4,000 brands just on Twitter and Facebook to let them know that their ads were funding the disinformation and white supremacy site Breitbart.com. So the answer is this is a this is a huge issue across the board. Just yesterday, I noticed that Elections BC, where I live, we're hosting an election right now. Elections BC, whose job it is to be nonpartisan and to uh, to just get out the vote, is actually funding a disinformation site. And I let them know, and they immediately fixed it. But of course, the answer was again oh my God, we had no idea. Thanks so much. We've worked with our agency to fix this. So right now that might still hold water, but I don't think it will in the very near future. And the brands who are getting ahead of this are the ones who are going to look competent and and strong as everything shifts. Because of course the risk is not only that you are funding things that are terrible for our communities and our democracies. The risk is also that you look like you just don't know what you're doing. And that sucks. Can I ask a question um, and, and playing devil's advocate and, and probably Jake, you can come on this. What would you say to critics who talk about how, you know, what, what Claire has just mentioned might be dangerous to the diversity of, of voices and content, therefore, on the Internet? Yeah, I think I think that um, certainly a lot of what we talk about is is that you know anybody has the right to say whatever they like within the laws of the land, um, but they don't necessarily have the right to be given a megaphone to reach millions of people, and they also don't have the right to be paid for it either. 
So, so you know, I'm a and we at Canada are a staunch defend, defender of, of freedom of speech, and we absolutely need diversity of voices, and we need to have healthy healthy uh, uh, debate. But there was also lines as well, and, and certainly within you know uh, uh, you know our, our work, you know, in hate speech, for example, we draw a line at the term dehumanization, and drawing on the expertise of the United Nations, who have obviously seen you know, atrocities happen in, in parts of the world where dehumanizing language was used in the lead up to those atrocities. If, for example, you start having content that talks about rats and vermin and cockroaches, and we've seen recently replicants, then, you know, that's very dangerous content that, that has been shown in 1930s Germany before the Rwandan massacre, before the Rohingya massacre, that 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 turns into real world violence so so yeah obviously we need to have you know healthy debate freedom of speech diversity of voices but we've also got to recognize where the line is and obviously no marketer wants to find their ads next to content calling uh, uh groups of people cockroaches or vermin yeah yes uh claire there's a this is where I want to be very clear about what kind of block lists are helpful and what kind are, are not helpful. Because of course, block lists that, uh, that identify certain publishers as, as uh, repeti repetitious publishers of speech that is dangerous can be incredibly useful. But when you start looking for words like vermin or rats or cockroaches, any any kind, any time the conversation goes, oh well, we can actually identify it using words. We just have to be super explicit that keyword block lists, block lists that use a whole bunch of of terms in order to try to avoid f being next to awkward or controversial in big quote marks uh, articles are actually still really problematic. What they do is they obfuscate the entire idea of brand safety, which is to not fund bad faith publishers and organizations. You do not want your money going towards them. But then of course, the other side of it is that it blocks the news. Um, it actually blocks more than the news. We found out recently that a, uh, a blogger by the name of Something Dex also gets blocked by keyword lists. So she's a recipe blogger. She does a, a really great job publishing brownie mixes, but it comes up as brand unsafe and she cannot get funding because of how silly these keyword lists work. So block lists, yes, for publishers, but keyword lists, no, it really is not a smart way to block your ads. Yeah. And J Jerry, I would imagine you would agree to a lot of it. Obviously, easier said than done when you're talking about picking the right partner or platform with your marketing investment. But where does it leave diverse media, for instance, which is generally not really well known, um, you know, as, 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 as a media partner? What that basically means is that as, as a marketer, as a brand, you would need to do that much extra legwork and homework to find out, you know, if you did need to invest in, in, in diverse voices. Uh, where does that lead? Yeah, I, I think the technology is getting a little bit better. So there's sort of um, not, not just keywords, but like semantics and things. But, I think, you know, I 100% agree with what Claire was saying. That, And actually, I think there's been a slight breakdown in the concept of brand safety. Uh, and it's sort of a mixture of like brand safety and brand suitability. And there's sort of, you know, as Claire was saying, you just absolutely don't want to fund the bad actors. 
And then you can get into a more nuanced conversation about which kind of content your brand does and doesn't want to appear alongside. And there are, you know, very good reasons why as a healthcare brand or a travel brand, there might be things you'd exclude. And I think as we've jumped from kind of TV to, to, to digital, we've, we have sometimes chased that. And yeah, keyword block lists, which as I said at the start, are in, in, in some ways the right, a step in the right direction, definitely bring some, some really bad potential downsides. Um, you know, a, in terms of if you are using keywords, and as like I say, advertisers who very casually throw in Muslim, lesbian, because, you know, that could be associated with terrorism, what could be associated with something a bit risque, whereas, you know, 99% of the content around that is, is positive and, and stories you'd want to be told. Or even if you're if you're going to, to a, a more locked down look and you're, and you're really focusing on a sort of a positive site list, choosing the sites you want to appear on, which, you know, is possible. I mean, it can be hard work, but it is possible. Then I think you do have to be really cautious in that. And, and back to the Diageo example, one thing we found quickly early on is some of our brands, Smirnoff, for instance, really wanted to talk to minority communities. They did a lot of stuff with the LGBT community and they found out that those platforms weren't initially in their, their site lists. Um, we, we at GSK, we've been working with Brand Advance. That's a network that works across lots of diversity publishers, I know some of the big agency groups have started to kind of pull together, um, you know, uh, lists of, of great diversity publishers. So there are, there are ways around it, but you have to A, make sure you're not being blunt in what you're blocking, and then B, start asking those questions. How do I appear on these publishers? You know, how do I make sure more of my media funds diverse opinions, diverse thoughts? Because we're not here to, to shut down uh, lines of thought. We're here to encourage encourage more and, and fund more. So uh, the the last question I really have is is the practical side of it. So when we are talking about ethical media spend, do you have you know top three or top five things that brands should consider? Um, you know how how do you even even start behaving? For instance, Claire, should we start with you then? Sure. Well, at Check My Ads, we are begging marketers to check your ads, please. Literally, go to your. Uh, Go to your site placement list and look through the list at who you're funding. If you if you need to go through, because there's there can be hundreds of thousands of, of sites on this list, which is of course a problem unto itself, organize it by amount that you've spent per site and start there and then go down. And that way you can actually see where your impact is. So that's the first thing. The second thing is check your inclusion list. See where you want to be, make sure that you're uh, make sure that you're not missing things where you really should be, maybe local news sites, maybe uh, maybe different blogospheres. You want to be where your brand would be most strong, most powerful. And then the third thing is, of course, check your exclusion lists because over time, if you're using, uh, especially if you're using keyword blocking technology, these lists get longer and longer and longer. If there's a shooting in a small town, suddenly the name of the small town gets blocked that also blocks the name of the local newspaper. So you need to go in and double check that because you could actually be harming and taking away money from local news when you're just trying to do a good job in marketing. Yeah. Jake, obviously not only do you run Conscious Advertising Network, but you have your own agency, Media Bounty as well. So in terms of the advice that you give to your clients, what is it that you say to them? I think... I think um there's a couple of things that, that, that we do is, is one is making sure that people are aware, uh, you know, awareness is a, is a big thing. You know, we talked about people still sort of throw out their arms and go, oh, I didn't know. And, and Claire made the point earlier. Well, that time of not knowing is probably going to be at an end pretty, pretty soon. So 
So I think, you know, we advise clients and, and our whole team to, to get up to date with, with, you know, the issues that we're facing right, right now. You know, what is the language um, that, that we need to be abreast of? There's plenty of tools out there. You know, GARM um, have recently published the, um, the definitions of, of the online harm definitions. You know, the four A's in the U.S. have, have done a, a white paper on, on, on misinformation that's really, really good and, and, and a big step forward. Obviously, CAN has, has the guidance in, in the manifesto. So I think one is, you know, again, asking these questions, having the conversations about the issues that, 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 we're, that, we're, um, that we're all facing. So whether that be, you know, COVID now, but also I mentioned earlier that, you know, climate change is going to be the next big hot issue and understanding that if we're starting to fund climate science denial, you know, are we funding uh, our, our own extinction, for example? So, yeah, having those conversations and then putting it in the briefs, we kind of feel that, you know, Jerry made the point earlier that it's much, much bigger than one platform. And these problems are not in immediately going to go away overnight. We're not going to suddenly go, ah, We've solved all the problems and we can we can we can we can disappear. There are other platforms, you know, coming to to, you know, to the fore. You know, obviously, you know, uh, you know, TikTok's taking steps in, in its policies, but Triller's beginning to, to gain traction in, in the States, for example. So if brands put, you know, principles and ethics in the contracts and therefore make sure that you know, the entire ecosystem is asking the right questions that Jerry talked about earlier and is every time now, but in three years time, in five years time, we're talking about misinformation and hate speech and what we're doing to, to mitigate that. Then it kind of feels to us that, you know, what get, what goes in the contracts often gets done. And if that's paired with the right sort of training, the right sort of um, information for people actually doing the job in agencies, then, then you know, we feel that you know that will uh, make a sig significant impact. And Jerry, you've been the champion and indeed the cheerleader when it comes to ethical media for for a long time now. What would you say to the industry? I mean, these guys have said it really. I think you know Claire in particular nailed nailed it when she said, "Ask to see your site list." It's one of the first things I said when I to my team when I joined GSK. And if the answer you get back is, oh, that's quite difficult or it's too long or something, I think that that's, you know, has some, some red flags in itself. So uh, exactly what those guys have said, it starts by asking the right questions. It starts by, you know, just paying a bit more attention to this stuff. And you, you'll find as soon as you start paying attention, a lot of stuff falls magically into place. Um, I would say um, follow the Conscious Advertiser Network, follow Claire, uh, follow the people on Twitter, because, you know, when, when new things come up and new challenges come up, you, you can learn from that. And, and also, just don't worry if you don't fully understand it, don't know, you know, don't think you can solve it all. And let's be blunt, you never can solve it all. Companies I've worked have done loads and loads of stuff in this space. We've still been caught out and found our ads in, in bad places. But I think really publicly showing that you care about this stuff, signing up to something like Conscious Advertising Network, there's no guarantee you will never appear anywhere. But it's rather than just saying, oh, I didn't know that placement was there. I didn't know that was there. You can say, well, I do look at my placements and I, I do make really positive stances around this. And you know, this one has got through and that's absolutely not OK. But you, you, you start at a better place if, you, if you're really clear, you know, even put it on your website, show what you're doing to, to, to own in this space. But yeah, exactly what the other guys just said. 
Yes, and and what all of you are saying is come together and work in collaboration and to take uh, take Jerry's words so that everything magically falls into place <laughs> as well. So thank you to all my guests, Jerry Deakin from GlaxoSmithKline, Claire Atkins from Check My Ads, and Jake Dubbins from Conscious Advertising Network. This is the Conscious Thinking Podcast from the Conscious Advertising Network. Thank you for listening, and also a huge thank you to our friends, the Rattle Collective and the Nerd. Keep tuned in as there's lots more to come. Thank you, everyone. Bye-bye.